Hi there, Graham Rayner here. Uh, welcome to episode three of Sparks of Madness. Um, and uh, it's probably confession time, I think. The first two episodes were very much um, ones for me to find my feet, shall we say. Two of my very, very good friends within the comedy industry who I spent a lot of time with, so I was pretty sure that the conversations would go well and I'd know what they were going to say and, and it would be a nice, comfortable start. Um, episode three is a little bit different. It is someone I know well, um, but um, I also know that the subject matter we're discussing is uh, a bit darker, uh, a bit more profound. Um, and so this episode does carry a, a trigger warning. Uh, we do discuss um, attempted suicide, suicidal thoughts and, and things of that nature. So please do bear that in mind when listening uh, but I am really pleased to welcome on to uh, Sparks of Madness uh, episode three um, uh, a really good friend of mine uh, James Bays or known to me as Jim. Um, Jim actually uh, effectively gave me my start in comedy so it's all his fault. Um, I uh, did a, a comedy course that he was running uh, as the sort of the expert if you like the tutor um, and since that course he's been um, something of a mentor to me and has really given me some really wise advice some pointers some opportunities um and a lot of support so i'm i'm forever in his debt for that he's one of my very favorite people in comedy and i really value what he has to say um but this episode is is about his experiences um his challenges and his comedy career so i really hope you'll enjoy what he's got to say so um i'll stop waffling now episode three of sparks of madness with james bays Okay, so for uh, episode three, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome uh, my good friend, Mr. James Bays, um, who, as well as being a good mate, has also been something of a, a mentor for me um, in my 18 months. It is now just about in uh, in comedy. Um, Sorry about that. And I know he's got loads of strong opinions about mental health issues. So welcome, Jim. Hi. Well, um, thanks, for, thanks for inviting me to chat to you and, uh, on this subject. No, you're more than welcome. Which, you know, um, I'll waffle on about at some point. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so, um, just for background, really, then for those of who may not be familiar with you, how long have you been uh, working in the comedy sector? Uh, working in it since two thousand and three. Uh, I ran a comedy night and a comedy club in Otley from two thousand and three to two thousand and nine. Um, then in two thousand and nine, the recession kicked in, and we took part in that, um, which didn't work out so very well, and. Um, I started performing comedy in 2011. I took the comedy club to, into other bars and pubs and it didn't quite work so well. So I started performing in 2011 and have not looked back. Probably should have done, but I haven't. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, at the moment we, we're speaking um, something like seven weeks into the uh, the COVID-19 lockdown. How are you finding all that? Um, yeah, it's it's... It's like it comes in waves. The the lockdown feelings and theories, and um, like one minute my theory is all right, everything's going to be fine, and we're going to go back to normal. Or the next theory is no normal will exist ever again. And then it's like, oh, I feel quite down about this whole thing. And then and then it's like, oh, I feel defiant. And some days are, are sort of in between. And uh, and to be honest with you, I think a lot of people are feeling that. And I do, I do have a sort of sense of I'm I could I could be in so much worse position than what I am. I mean. I am self-employed and I have lost all of my income 
um, but I still have a roof over my head. My landlord wasn't particularly understanding. However, um, they've I've reached an agreement with my landlord where I'm paying them half rent for a couple of months and then paying them what I owe them upon leaving. So that that was a stressful period, and that that was probably the worst I felt when my landlord was a bit like tough, pays the rent, and I was hard. I, I can't. Um, mm. But apart from that, apart from the money issues, it my sort of overall. My overall feeling for the most part is quite defiant and quite positive and I'm cracking on with things that I can hopefully do after lockdown. So that's kind of that because I was I was incredibly busy prior to lockdown with acting, with comedy, with writing, with uh, with the courses that I'm on, with teaching that I do. Um, to go from being incredibly busy to not busy at all and I live on my own. Um, that was a bit, that was a bit of a kick in the nuts. But uh, these nuts are pretty resilient these days, so... Uh, the short version, which I should have probably given initially, is yeah, I'm all right, thanks. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm not so bad. I'm a bit different from you. So you're the first. This is episode three, and you're the first sort of full time um, comic or person whose main source of income is from comedy that we've spoken to. Um, so uh, the other guys that I've spoken to are, are generally doing okay, um, and I'm still working full time in my day job as well as. You know, just so I'm missing comedy on a night time as a as a distraction from daily life. That's the, that's my main thing. Financially, I'm really fortunate. I've got no no sort of long term concerns that, that that this is going to affect that. But it's um, I think the the thing that I've missed most is um, the the sort of the selfish aspect of going out and gigging the time for me, the time with people that I find funny and engaging and stuff like that. Um, not that I don't find my wife and two kids funny and engaging, but there's there's only so much you can um, you can deal with that, you know, 40-odd hours a week um, out of the house I'm used to. Um, so it's a little bit different. Um, but I just think it feel, feels like um, comedy had become my um, release valve for pressure if I was feeling a bit shitty. I could go out and gig and I'd get a bit of a buzz from it from a couple of days and, and uh, be riding high. And then, you know, it was just a nice constant way out of any other issues. But thankfully so far in lockdown, I'm doing all right. Um, I know people are doing a lot worse, like much like you've said. So I try not to grumble really. Um, now you mentioned teaching there, which is actually how we met. You ran a comedy course that I did yes. um, in Leeds in it's like the autumn of 2018. And I remember the first time you and I had a proper conversation, not necessarily about comedy, you were at the bar in a break on this course and I spotted your tattoo on your arm um, and I was sort of taken by it because it's quite a striking image. And I asked you about it and the answer you gave me was, um, it knocked me on my ass, basically. Um, so do you want to explain that? Yeah. So the tattoo is a representative of some of the troubles I went through Um I have a very troubled period of my life. I, 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 I made light of it a little bit and I went to Edinburgh Fringe and told a, a, a comedy show story of it. But um, it is quite a, yeah, it's quite a dark... It's, it's a strange one because I, I don't like to suggest that um, I was in a worse position than, than, than anyone else who's experienced this, as, as you'll find out in a moment. Um but it felt to me at the time like it was that I was in the worst position in the world. So the tattoo is um, at the bottom, at the, on the forearm, is a demon. And it kind of represents my mental demons. Um, on the other side of the, of the bottom of my arm is a tree. Um, what, don't ask me why I took a picture of it. I have no idea, but I did. Um, and the large branch from which I tried to hang myself. Um and I, the thing that stopped me, the two things that stopped, that stopped me, um, one was incompetence, um, 
I'd clearly not done the weight and balance properly. Um, and the other was my dog uh, at the, on, the, on, the, on that particular occasion because um, I was going to use his lead to, to, um, to, to swing from. Um, and I just thought that was a bit, that's a bit shitty. He'll feel bad about it for a couple of days, won't he? And then he'll, he'll find some arses to sniff and he'll crack on with life. But still, um, <laughs> I was just, uh, and I thought about when I sort of got out of that mindset that I was stuck in and I was really stuck. It was a good few days I was stuck in that mindset where I was like, I've decided now and I just don't think I've got anything to offer anymore and I'm, and I'm done. Um, when I got out of that mindset, I thought I need to try and figure out a way to remind myself not to get in that mindset again. And I started looking at the things that were positive. Um, and for the first time since feeling that way, and it probably started to sneak in when I was in my early twenties. Um, and I was having this very secret life in my, in my twenties, which I always cite as the reason why I was never successful at anything because secretly I was going off on my own and doing all kinds of stupid things that involved being off my tits, um, to try and have this release from, from what was feeling inside rather than talk to anyone. Um, but for the first time uh, after that, I, mean, I, I sort of reached out a little bit to my family. Not too much. I didn't give away too much, but I can, you know, you know, you, you know, your mum can probably tell, and 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 I think my mum could probably tell what was going on. And so, their response was probably the thing that saved me from getting worse because that I I didn't really expect them to know what to do, and they kind of they just kind of said, they just kind of said, "Well, we're here," which was which was more than enough. Um, to sort of hear those words, we're here. It was, it was kind of. I, I get quite upset talking about it. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep myself calm. Mm. Um, but that, like to hear that, that was really important, um, especially given that as much as my, like my family, we all get on really well. We love each other, but we don't communicate. We're terrible communicators. So that was that. That was the thing that was like, right, okay. I need to understand what's going on in my head and why. Um, why those particular words were here meant so much. So I got the rep- representation of what my family are to me a- a tattooed on the top of my arm. Um, so there's an angel, because I've got a demon at the bottom. There's an angel, there's magpies, there's a fox, which represents my dad. The angel represents my mum. The magpies represent my brothers. Um, and the- so the bottom of the arm is like the dark, and the top of my arm is light. And then there's a, a dove, a peace, peaceful mind, and the sun uh, right at the very top, which is nearest to my head, which is the- my thinking. So actually I can see the forearm more, but I know that the sunlight's at the top and it's like, and the kind of theory behind that is for the most part, even if it looks like the demons are winning, what I can't see, which is nearest to the, nearest to the end is the daylight at the end of the tunnel. Um, so yeah, over the period of I think six months, I had the tattoo done. Um, I thought that's, if I, I mean, I've, I've always wanted a tattoo, but I wanted it to have meaning. And I thought that's the most, probably the most important meaning in my entire life was almost the end of it. And ever since that day, ever since that day, and, and, and which is why I've had the tattoo, another reason why I've had the tattoo, I've thought things, I think more now, I'm a bit of a thinker. I think sometimes you might see me sort of disappearing into, into my own head um, and I'm thinking things through. <laughs> That's why I'm glad I had this tattoo because it's always a good reminder, just stay grounded, just crack on and you'll, you'll, the sunlight's at the, at the end of the tunnel. So mm. I have to think of a more succinct way of describing that, don't I? And that was quite... <laughs> That's quite wordy. Well, no, actually, I, th- I don't think you do because it, it it was interesting to hear you kind of work through it um, from the event, if you want to call it that, to the, the thought process to the tattoo. I think the, the two things that strike me listening to it, apart from kind of how um, 
how detailed your thought process was is there's two things there is um the fact that you kind of almost wear your experience on your arm um and it's a visible thing that clearly I, I doubt I was the first person to ask you the significance of it, probably far from it. Um, and then the other thing is you then went and did um, an Edinburgh show about the experience. And I suppose in a, in a period where, you know, we, we cons- the good thing in the last couple of years is the, the debate about men's mental health particularly has, has come to the forefront. But clearly, you know, you have been open to people knowing about that experience as much as you want them to for a while um how do you take that experience and then put an edinburgh show on about it what's that process like um i i think it's just it's just the way i am like i like to i know it's a defense mechanism if, if i have to study the psychology of it it's always a defense mechanism isn't it when you want to make light of something but i just kind of like i don't like the idea of um my mood bringing down other people's moods. So no matter how I felt, and this this can be toxic and it can be a problem um, to a degree, but I, I, I've got all kinds of opinions on that. But I thought to myself, right, I've had this problem. I've had this issue. I've had this mental... I'm not even sure if it's a mental health thing. I'm not... Because I, I, this is the thing that, that I go off on all tangents in my mind. Like, is it really mental health? Or did I just tell myself it was because I felt a bit sad? Um... But my sort of theory is, well, no matter what it is, there's, there's got to be a way of talking about it without really bringing the mood down. There's got to be a way of making light of the situation. And I thought about some of the things because I made three attempts on my life in my in my, in my life. And I'm pretty certain, pretty, I'm, I, I'd secure my house on it if I had a house, <laughs> that I won't do that again. Um, but it was it was things like the ludicrousness of the third attempt when I was when I was like, right, a bridge. And I, and I took my bike from when I was a kid, and this is in the show, this is like verbatim in the show, and I was cycling on, on the bike that I had when I was a kid up to the bridge. So I was, I was 32, so this is basically a 32-year-old man cycling to a bridge on a bike that's too small for him, crying. I mean, imagine anyone saw that, they're like, I mean, just do it, mate, to be honest with you, because that's the saddest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Um, and it's things like that. It's like, it is quite silly. When you think about it, it is quite silly. And if we're not laughing, then what, what are we going to do? Um, and again, yeah, I can't... I, I am relatively open about it if asked. I don't. I don't go around being like, um, "Hey, do you want to know what? Do you want to know what this tattoo is?" But um, I am quite open about it. But if I am going to be open about something, I, in order to make sure that I don't kill anyone's vibes or make them feel bad, then I have to make, I have to make well certain that it's a, if not necessarily a funny version, but a silly version of what what's going on. Um, yeah. And the Edinburgh show was great fun. It was because it was very cathartic because I was saying things out like this. I was nervous at the start of it, and and I was probably still in a bit of a bad place mentally at that time. I was going through the, through a, a breakup from a long term relationship. Um, I was my identity. I didn't know who I was or where I was going in life. I'd lost a lot of confidence, um, and then I came back from Edinburgh Fringe. Oh, and I was about. I think I was when I went. Was it Edinburgh Fringe? No, that was 20, 2014 when I went to Edinburgh fourteen sixteen stone and came back fourteen. Um, it it was I was all over the place at the, at, until I'd written that show and then I was like and now I kind of have a direction, um and I I kind of have something to cling on to and move towards whether it's being silly and open about it or whether it's going in because I started acting and stuff like that as well and and it's like I got so much I got so much I can crack on with and do and all that comes from thinking about what was what was in my head and then putting it in a kind of a light and breezy way. 
And what was the what was the reaction like from the audience? Because obviously, as much as you can you can try and lighten the mood with it, it's still much darker than probably ninety percent of the other shows that will be up there on the fringe. Um, I mean, I go on stage and I talk about wanking, and you've obviously you this whole show for you was a much different tone, albeit you, your attempt to make it light. Um, what was the audience reaction to that? Did you did people speak to you afterwards about it or anything like that? Yeah, I had a few people come up to me afterwards. Uh, the, it, as 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 it happened that year, Chris Jethard, an American comedian, was also doing a show about mental health, and his was a lot darker. I went to see it actually at Midway Point, um, and it was a lot lot darker than the approach I took. So um, I had some I had some very positive feedback. Some people coming up and saying it's great that you're open about it in such a silly way, and some people missed the point. Um, and mm. they just thought of it as being silly because I mean, I mean, I've got wank jokes in the set and, and stuff like that. It's, t- it's it is quite it was quite an open. I was very open about a lot of things. You know, it's not the sort of thing I'd, I'd like my mother to turn up and watch. But um, <laughs> it was quite an open version of my life. So all the sort of silly things I was embarrassed about um, were in there, and so that it kind of maybe came across more of a life story than a, than a depression story. Um, and as I say, with with Chris Jethard's show at that time being so dark, I think. Anyone that saw both kind of saw it as a light thing. Some some people. There was one person who, who reacted badly who thought I was taking the piss out of depression, um, and that was a bit that was a bit of a downer. But to be honest, you can't please everyone, and it's not as bad. It's not as bad as I, I, I I'm sidetracking here. But um, Andy Wollstone, great friend of mine, he's a, he's a cracking guy. He he also um, has some material about about his mental health, and. He t- talks about it's, it's actually hilarious. It's um, I won't spoil it because you need to go see it. But uh, he talks about um, his his mood and he's being in. I can't remember. He's on this. He's in the second floor of an office. I can't remember the exact material. And he's changed it. But he talks about his personal experience. And somebody came up to him after a gig, um, who obviously has a mental health issue, and, was, and, and they'd obviously missed the point because they were yelling, "You don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like." He's like, I literally do know what it's like. That's just what I was talking <laughs> about on stage a minute ago. <laughs> like, like. Some people do get triggered. They hear a couple of words and they get triggered. Um, although, mm. I'm, like, I'm laughing at that. I obviously wouldn't want anyone to come and see my show and be triggered. Um, so for the most part, the feedback was nice. I would say of the people that got the point, which was, I reckon, half of them that saw it, that got the point at, about the mental health bit, um, 99.9% of them were, were like, were very positive. Uh, I got a lot of messages um, to the Facebook page after the show and uh, or Twitter messages from people that were like uh, really complimentary and just had quite nice things to say about about the subject matter and just about the set itself because it was a double hander, um, so it was uh, it wasn't it wasn't that long it was like a, it was essentially a thirty minute set, maybe a little, a little bit longer. I think Jake's was about a little, little bit shorter. Mine was a little bit longer, if I remember rightly. Um, but yeah, I was I was I was relatively happy with the feedback. No oh, good. Because uh, so, I think that's the thing is, um, if you're putting something like that on, you, there's always <clears throat> an element of risk until you until you've done it until you've done it a few times. It feels like you know you've you've maybe um, taken the parachute off a bit because if you if it doesn't work, if it does miss for everyone, then that's a really sort of profound sharing you've done, and then it's died. Um, which, which I'd, I'd imagine, from a from my point of view, I would have been incredibly anxious to share that level of detail of any of my experiences. I do talk very briefly in some of my stuff about 
my experience on antidepressants, but it's very, very brief. It's two minutes of, and it, and it ends with a, a you know, a, a decent sort of an, an obvious punchline. Um, but I don't expose a lot of myself in it. And I think if I, if I was to start stripping away the layers, I would feel that I'd be really anxious about how's that going to go. Um, so I think it's it's interesting to hear that reaction. But you mentioned obviously a few other people doing material about mental health, and and this kind of leads me on to probably the the thinking behind doing this podcast. Really, is um, there's there's certainly um, a feeling generally. It's almost a bit of a I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but there's a feeling that most mental mental health sorry most comedians have history of mental health problems and you and you get the famous examples of you you can be tony hancocks etc and you know robin williams and people like that do you think that there is um you, you've been on the circuit a lot longer than i have you know loads more comedians than i do is it actually true do you think that there's a, a bigger prevalence or do you think it's just that comedians will talk about anything to get a laugh and get attention and validation um Oh God, I think it's I think it's true. I think we're all bonkers. Um, there, ha- there has to be something a little bit wrong with you to want to go around the country, stand in front of rooms of strangers and make them laugh to be validated. Um, and that's what well, I think comedy attracts people who kind of have that need. I can only really talk from a personal feeling of what makes me do it, but I think a lot of people when they talk, and there are other podcasts out there. Um, Stuart Goldsmith's podcast has a few has had a few guests where they talk openly about things like that. Um, mm. I can't remember the the, the, the the fella from EastEnders. Why I can't remember his name. He's absolutely fantastic. Terry Alderton been a particularly good one for for that. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I think we're not all the tears of a clown broken like people might think. Um, but there is there's something there's there's something that drives a person to not want to particularly in a professional. Com, um, comedy circuit that drives a person to not want to do a nine to five job and not be satisfied with that. But to want to stand, to want to drive on a Friday night from Yorkshire to Plymouth and stand for twenty minutes on a stage and get seventy quid handed to them and drive back. You know that that's sort of, it's sort of the early stages of when you when you're pro that kind of money where you think, well, I've like it's cost me fifty quid in fuel, but I've done it. I feel great about that. And you don't feel great about it. you feel great about it for about fifteen minutes and then you're on to the next thing. Um, there is a certain personality that that attracts. Um, whether they're all, I mean, this is the thing as well. Depression. A lot of people who don't understand depression will think depression means suicidal, and it doesn't. It's far from it. Actually, suicidal is a diff- completely different thing. So, a lot of the sort of depression sufferers that do comedy are aren't necessarily. I think it's um, a self-esteem thing more than a depression thing, um, and there. Validation, validation. I think I've said that before uh, just now, but validation is probably the the main thing that drives these people into uh, into basically being performing monkeys. That's that's essentially what we are. <laughs> like, pay attention to me. Um, and again, from my personal point of view, because I had no self esteem at one point, it's ridiculous actually where, where my self esteem's at. I'm probably one of the most confident guys you'll 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 meet. I just think sometimes I think I'm I think I'm the absolute mutts nuts. I don't know why we use mutts nuts as a as a mm-hmm. as a benchmark, but I walk around the place thinking I'm fantastic, and then twenty four hours later, I'm like, I am the worst human on the planet. What is wrong with me? And it's like I have this sort of yin and yang, and I think a lot of comedians are like that because that's the flip side of it is to stand on a stage in front of people and essentially go, I am the funniest person in the room right now, and you all need to listen to me. The, like you have to have an air of confidence about you as well. So. 
Um, if that isn't the definition of mental, then I don't know what it is. And I'm, I'm being flippant about it, but obviously um, that's that's why that's why I think so many comedians are a bit. Yeah, I, I know people who um, sort of. I've got a friend who's a, a, who who runs a, a mental health advocacy website who has nothing to do with comedy. Who knows me, and and he cannot get his head around the fact that that I am. You know, I've got a relatively mild mental health history compared to most in the industry, and he doesn't understand why. If you've got anxiety issues, issues with self-esteem, you know, periods of depression and what have you, why would he sees the he looks from the outside in from a mental health perspective and just says you are literally putting your hands in the fire every time you go on stage um, and you're hoping you're not going to get burnt and I, and I kind of when I when I step back I see that but what he could never understand I don't think is that sense of validation you get if you like if you've written a new bit and you go out and do a new bit and it goes better than you expected the first time which doesn't happen very often or, or those kind of things where you go to a room that no no one else has, has particularly killed the room, and you go in and you're getting applause breaks and stuff like that. Mm. The you, f- you feel ten feet tall, and like you say, it doesn't last very long. But for me, sometimes it can just get me through a couple of days, like I said earlier. And, and it's like um, I think it's it's a weird weird sort of thing to subject yourself to, but because it's risk and reward, I suppose mentally. Um, yeah. But um, but. I, well, you know, you've spoken to me over the last year and a half. I, I just, I, I just wish I'd done it sooner. Um, I actually think my mental health long term would have been potentially a lot better if I'd done it sooner. Although I probably wouldn't have been as funny twenty years ago. But, it's um, thing, but, but um, that, I wish I'd done it sooner. Feeling, um, and I get that with a lot of things. I think it, it doesn't matter because you, you haven't, mm. and there's a reason why you haven't. And so, having to so doing it now, it's like this is the optimum time to do it for you and for. for there's no point thinking because you see comedians who are like 16 when they start or, or 17, 18 when they start and you think, oh, fuck you with your entire life ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, but like, and this is no detriment to people of that age who do start comedy and some of them have gone on to be incredibly successful. Fuck you, Daniel Sloss. Um, he's brilliant, by the way. It's not a disdain for him. It's just that he started out like 15 or 16 or something and he's so mm. successful. Um, but um, yeah, don't like, it doesn't matter because when you start, is is it's right for you and that's all. And that's yeah. all life is. We we all we, we do so much, and this is where mental health comes in. We do so much comparing to everything else in the world, and thinking, "I wish I'd done this at this age or that age." But you've done it now, and you've crossed that line, and just make the most of that. Mm. So, the other thing that um, has struck me in conversations about this sort of stuff with you is that you have um, some quite sort of strongly held, deep rooted opinions generally about the way people talk about mental health issues. Um, and uh, and and I find I, I genuinely find that interesting because I think because of the way the debate has come to the fore in the last few years, um, it's something that is talked about more. But because it's talked about more, there are quite a few people talking about it who don't understand it or think they. One of the things that always annoys me um, generally, I find it, it's a, it's one of those things that you know it's probably stronger than a pet peeve because it, it sort of boils my piss really is people who self-diagnose anything. The I'm a little bit autistic. I'm a little bit OCD kind of stuff um or you know even now people who you know cough once in a week and think they've got covid that kind of thing where it's just like i've got i've got to have the latest thing almost um mental health is no different from that a lot of people sort of sound off about their own experiences when they've never potentially never really had them or they don't really understand the depth of them so I'll, i'll not hold court i'll just let you sort of come out with your opinions on that but i know you do have them yeah um 
I, I think a lot of people say that they're depressed when they're not, um, because they think that being a bit sad is depression. And then what tends to happen and is they become depressed because they've told themselves they're depressed and then they, then and then it really does happen and it's it's a bit like when that sort of initial I'm a bit depressed thing kicks in, a lot of people could probably pull themselves out of it. Not everyone, and I'm not saying it is definitely not a sweeping across the board, but I think a lot of people who claim to have depression aren't they just they don't have depression. Now for me um, and for a lot of men, I think actually they they say they don't have depression when maybe it is that because for me what I was experiencing I think was um, was a, was a bit of sadness that and a sense of worthlessness that I allowed that I just allowed to get worse and worse and worse until it became depression. And I think if I'd have just said to myself, "Oh, grow up, you fucking idiot," at that time, which people will call a toxic thing to say, and I get that and I do get it because it's not the same for everyone. But if, if I'd have done that at the, at the beginning and just sort of tried a little bit harder with a few things, I wouldn't have slipped into that position where I had a, where I had a chain around my neck. Um, mm. And it's a, it's a really dangerous because there's not enough, there's not enough investment in mental health. There's not enough, um, like there's not, there's not enough information out there. And to be honest, it might be because there's not enough understanding of it because it's, it's so nuanced. It's so different for everyone. But my, my, my strongest opinion is a lot of people who say oh I'm depressed they aren't and they don't need mm. to be because they can they can get themselves out of it but of course because we're because we're, and rightly so that the society is trying harder to to cure depression or make people feel like it's okay then I think what's happened is a lot a lot of people who probably wouldn't have it have gone oh well depression's a thing I'm a bit depressed and now I'm really down and uh, and then they make it worse because your brain's a wonderful thing. It, it can do a lot of really, really good things if you take it there with a bit of resilience, which is hard when you actually are depressed. When you actually are depressed, it's almost impossible. But if you're in that sort of that state of mind where you're just like, oh, society's saying depression's a thing, maybe that's what I've got because you feel a bit sad, um, then then fucking stop. And it's, it's, you can never spot that with a person. It's just... It's just a real frustration of mine that a lot of people get themselves into a situation they can get themselves out of. And talking openly like this, which is why I mentioned it being toxic, is dangerous because too many people will pile on and criticise, which is the way of society. Mm. Now, if you say something I don't like, then I'm going to shut you down. Um, yeah. But it's... Yeah. I think it's... it's The thing that gets me with that as well is, because you are talking about it, and it in a sort of a sensible way in that it is nuanced. It is different for everyone. No, t no two people will have necessarily the same experience. But when you talk about being able to pull yourself out of it, if it's early enough, then I would say that most people I know with a history of, of mental health issues are sort of walking, talking proof of that because I know people who at the time when they were at their lowest maybe needed interventions in terms of whether it's medications, talking therapies, any of that sort of stuff. But now it's been so. I haven't taken antidepressants for I think eight years now, and I now feel like I self-manage. Not always hugely successfully, but I'm used to those signs, and I try and do things when I can to to sort of um, to I don't know dam dam up the river before it over you know washes over me. Mm -hmm. um, and 
and I think that so therefore if I can do it having been through it you're absolutely right if people have that awareness of their own sort of makeup mentally um and are given the right tools then most people can can do something about it um I saw something. This is, you're talking about the way people talk being toxic. It's really difficult. I remember a few years ago, Piers Morgan, uh, being the sort of guy that he is, spouted off about. Um, I think Brad Pitt had written an article about having suffered with sort of periods of, of depressive moods and, and black moods and stuff. And and Piers Morgan spouted off saying, um, you know, they, some people just need to be stronger mentally and need to just shut up talking about it. And and I suppose almost questioning. It was that sort of almost that thing of why is Brad Pitt depressed? What's he got to be depressed about? He's Brad Pitt kind of thing. Um, And now I don't know, I'm not going to, you know, Piers Morgan, he would have been doing that for clicks and all that, in my opinion. But it worries me that we, there is a tendency to sort of, the man up thing is a toxic phrase, like you said. I saw yesterday on on Facebook, a a comedian, I'm not going to name him, but he was going to do an online gig because we're in lockdown, there are no real gigs. Um, So he was doing a gig online and he hadn't done one ever before. He didn't know how it was going to go. Plus he decided he was going to do a new bit that he'd written. Um, And he suffered from panic attacks and anxiety in the past. And he was he posted that he'd had a couple of panic attacks this week, and he thinks it's because he's got this gig coming up. And some of his mates, thinking they were helping him, literally put you know stuck, sharp soppy bollocks, just fucking suck it up, man up, and all this. And he had three or four comments like that on his on his feed, and it and it really it pushed my buttons straight away, and I had to stop myself from almost policing his friends that I hadn't met because it's not nothing to do with me. Um, but yet yeah, it might have been acceptable to him because they're his mates and that's how they talk and all that so i find the conversation so tricky sometimes because i you and i talking privately would have a very different conversation than we might do with a wider group and that's the biggest challenge for me about mental health discussions is use the word triggered earlier so many things can be triggering that sometimes it's easier to say nothing i think yeah. How easy do you find it with when you see if you ever see stuff like that? Do you just stay away? Do you get involved? Do you, do you just what do you do? Uh, I mean, my my stance on a lot of things is to not get overly involved because um, I don't know anyone's personal circumstances or anything like that. So there are a lot of things that I see people saying, and I think that's awful, that's abhorrent. But um, I don't know their circumstances. I don't know what's led them to say that to this person and their relationship. Um. And sometimes this is this is a battle that I'm always doing. Sometimes I think this. It, do you know what it reminds me of? Um, I'm going to use an example from a film. There's um, a few good men, the Jack Nicholson character, and it's kind of like there are things that people say that you you publicly want to go. You shouldn't be saying that, but sort of on the inside, you're like, you need me on that wall. You want me on that, and you think I do. Kind of, you do mm. kind of need that sometimes. Um, and so I have this sort of internal battle sometimes. I think, yeah, sometimes I hear the toxic masculinity, that kind of the man up stuff. And I don't necessarily agree with all that kind of stuff because I think you should be allowed to talk. Um, and if we're talking specifically about men, cause I, and, and I know that women suffer depression as well and, and there's different ways that they that, that they suffer. Um, but when we're specifically talking about men, I, I think that male attitudes, they are changing, but they should be a lot more open. You should be able to say things to each other. Um, that make it easier to be complimentary. Um, I mean, I wrote a bit of stand-up. Um, it's like you can't be complimentary to another bloke without somebody going, oh, that's a bit gay. All I said was nice mm-hmm. dick, mate. It's like, so I've made a joke <laughs> out of it. Um, 
but it's like it's like that with men. You can't really say nice things to. Well, you can obviously you can, but you you know society's like got this sort of no bad um, way of dealing with it. Um, and, and that's the thing sometimes when society has that no bad or man up woo, you kind of think well that's that's a bit shitty. But sometimes when somebody's saying come pull yourself together, you can pull yourself together. I think yeah, you probably can. You probably can. And that's my. I know this is probably my opinion now. I'm not going full full guns, I suppose, right now. But this is my opinion. That I think would be the one that's a dangerous opinion because I know there are. It's not the same for every single person. But when I hear certain things, it's sort of directly to answer your question, there are times when I think maybe that's right, and there are times when I think no, that's absolutely wrong. So yeah. I don't really tend to get involved. I kind of I try and think about it. Often, what'll happen is I'll think about it a little bit. I'll go for. I do a lot of walking, particularly in between um, auditions and jobs. Um, and I'll think about things. And I think I should have said that <laughs> halfway through a walk two days later. Yeah. Um, and I think, well, I didn't think of it at the time. And um, and and then that sort of lodged in my head for later. And I think, yeah, I'm not always right as well. That's the other thing is I have these opinions. I think, yeah, if I'd have said that at that time, I'd have been wrong. Um, so I can I kind of yeah I kind of step back from stuff like that. If someone was to approach me though, I would like to say if someone was to approach me and ask me, you know, for a chat or for help. I would open up all day long and I'd talk about my my experiences and I'd talk about what I think about what, what your friends have said to you and what your parents say to you. Um, and on parents, and I, and I mean this with the absolute um, utmost respect for my parents, your parents can be the worst because they, they, they want you. They're, they're trying to protect you and they want the best for, for you. And so they do things that they think are protective and they put these seeds of doubt in your mind sometimes and they put these um, protective like arms around you metaphorically and then they make you feel like um there are certain things you kind of can't do and that creates mental issues and i mean you're only emotionally pure for about four seconds and that's the first four seconds after you're born and then suddenly the world starts putting things in your head and <laughs> you're fucked from four seconds on. <laughs> yeah um, that's a really cheery thought mate <laughs> <laughs> we're all doomed why bother <laughs> from birth brilliant um so do you think you're, I mean, I wouldn't ask you to speak for other comedians, but you are a, one of the comedians I know with a, a, a really wide-ranging knowledge of comedy. Do you think that in your own experience, your mental health past, apart from the fact that you, you did a decent Edinburgh show out of it, do you think it helps you as a, an act or do you think it, it hurts you as an act on balance? Hmm. Uh, it helps me in as much as when I am in my darkest moods and mindsets i write the best stuff um i remember going to france with my ex and i was in a really bad place and my ex and i weren't getting on very well at all um we get on fine now like we're friends now and everything but um our relationship was coming to an end and despite that i loved her more than anything and and it was this weird battle i was doing and i felt bad about myself and this is like i said i put a lot of weight on i was doing things that I, I midway through doing them i was like what the fuck are you doing um and i was behaving in in just stupid ways um which i won't go into too much detail about because my mum's probably listening um and the best thing about that is is then when i sit down with a pen and paper usually when i was writing sort of in the early days and, and the the two edinburgh shows that i wrote um i'd be off my tits um i remember down in a case of desperados in southern france we'd gone there for a friend's wedding and um i didn't turn up for the wedding because my mental state was awful and I just I just didn't I was letting my girlfriend down on all sorts of fronts at that point um but I sat and got shit-faced and wrote comedy for about four hours and um the sort of the sort of sum total that was two of my best pieces of material that 
so in that sense it helps um in terms of performance element uh i think you my my stage persona has got to be quite cheery so i've got to drag myself into a cheery state of mind no matter what mood i'm in um for example the night that my ex and i broke up i probably the most hollow I felt on stage but um, the performance was still kind of alright because there was this inner um, performer element going cheer, be cheery be cheery um, but I, I, other people may be different um, I know there are acts out there that they perform well when they're in a good mood and when they're in a, when their mindset's not with it and I won't name them but there are two, two people that I get on quite well with that I know that I like that though when the mindset's not with it, you can almost see that see it before anything. Don't bother stepping on stage tonight, mate, because you not only are you gonna be shit, but you're gonna feel worse about it. Um, mm. having been on stage than what you would if you don't. So, um, it can be different for other people, but for me personally, it's it's been helpful. Um, in terms of creating comedy, um, and only been a mild hindrance in terms of performing. Okay, um, yeah, I think. Looking at knowing your act like I do, having seen you a few times, and, and obviously you, you've emceed and stuff. I think, you, yeah, your persona. One of the things that stuck in my mind that you said early on in our sort of um, mentor-mentee relationship was, you know, even if you go out and there's only one person in the audience, you've got to give that level of performance. And it, it's, I would, I would struggle to tell, looking at you, what mood you were in if I hadn't seen you before from your performances. You, you're generally at a similar level all the way through, which is which is um, admirable, I suppose, because if you're feeling shit. But then you might have been – it might have just been that I was in the room, so therefore you were feeling fantastic every time. I don't know. Every time. Um, every single time. If I'm going to shirt, then we're getting on fine. <laughs> nice. Uh, I don't want to talk about football because uh, – do you know what? I'm actually – I'm barely missing it. It's not been – there hasn't been a game for nearly two months, and I'm not and, – and, and the last game was your lot beating our lot, um, and I'm not missing it at all. Um, it's I weird. Know. The only thing I'm missing is actually going there with my son. Yeah. Um, but we're doing loads of other stuff, so it's fine. Yeah, cool. I, um, I think I, I don't watch much football anyway. Um, I know we're sidetracking here. I don't watch much football at all. Um, but being a Leeds fan yeah. and having Leeds in the position they're in, <laughs> it only could happen to what, <laughs> top of the league for, <laughs> for yeah. finally, yeah. Uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Bloody, yeah, lovely. Uh, I mean, it, I, I don't think it'll stop, but you will see. Anyway, um, last question. Coming to the end, and I think it's been a really good chat. It's been... Um, been i think the phrase would be deep but i've enjoyed it um but this is the question i'm trying to i'm going to ask this to everyone who comes on the pod um and just see what they say so if you could guarantee um that if you could take away your mental health issues and guarantee for the rest of your life you were on an even keel mentally in a positive place but the cost was that you'd never step on a stage again or never perform again because i know you're also singing and acting as well um would you do it Good question. Good question. No, I love performing far too much to ever walk away from it. I think I'd rather be a broken performer than a sound, normal person. <laughs> I uh, yeah. No, and it's one of the answers I give people. When people say to me, I could never be a stand-up comedian, I could never step on stage and do what you do, I think, yeah, and I could never work a nine-to-five and be obscure. And <laughs> that's kind of a, that's such a knobhead thing to say because I'm completely obscure now, but... No, I couldn't. Um, and whether that's a whether that's wrong because it's the performing is the catharsis from being somewhat mental, or or not is it? But I just yeah, I, I love it too much. Um, 
there's no way. No, there's no way I could give it up. No chance. I'd <laughs> rather, yeah, I'd, I'd rather cry into my cornflakes every day and still be an actor and comedian. <laughs> I think I'd have probably put my mortgage on you saying something along those lines anyway. So you know, it's not a massive shock, but it's nice to hear. <laughs> so, um, Jim, it's been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, you take care. I'll see you soon. Okay. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Bye bye. Bye. So there you go. Uh, that was Jim, uh, James Bays. Um, and uh, I think um, he and I both said after this conversation we could have chatted for hours really and, and uh, it was really interesting to hear Jim's views as well as his experiences, his views on the way people discuss mental health, the way people perhaps um, can take more responsibility for managing their own mental health. Um, I would say I agree with a lot of what he says, but I would also say that if you're ever in a position where you feel like you can't manage your own mental health, it goes without saying, get some help. If you're listening to this and you need some pointers or some advice, I'm quite happy to do that, so please please get in touch. Um, Just uh, send us a message um, you can look us up at gag and bowman comedy on facebook or twitter um, or at madness sparks on twitter as well um, please do uh, co- comment like share subscribe tell your friends and let us know what you think thanks very much for listening and see you next week cheers of Madness is hosted by Graham Rayner and is a Gag and Bone Man comedy production.